Hey everybody, welcome to E-Commerce Answers, a podcast produced and sponsored by Acorin, a leading e-commerce agency. My name is Frank Thompson. Every episode we're going to explore, analyze, and discuss key issues facing both B2B and B2C e-commerce merchants. We're going to look at a wide range of topics with a bias towards trends and technologies that merchants, e-commerce team members, and the media will be interested in. Welcome. Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of e-commerce Answers from Acorin. Uh, today, we're lucky enough to have some members of the Acorin team join us, and we're going to be talking about a number of things here as we close out uh, a very strange 2020 with our pandemic, but really focusing on what um, our members of the team at the agency are noticing with um, their clients and also in their uh, e-commerce lives. Again, this is Frank Thompson leading the podcast. I'm going to kick us off and have everybody who's on the podcast introduce themselves, uh, starting with myself again, Frank Thompson, uh, Director of Marketing and Sales at uh, Accorn, and I'm responsible for all things marketing, including these podcast series that we do, and our um, our, our advertising and our publications with our great blog at acorin.com uh, and also I run our sales department. Uh, Ryan, since you work with me on a daily basis, why don't you give uh, the listeners a quick introduction and also yeah, include hey, where you're right. working from. Perfect. Yeah, this is Ryan Etheridge. I am the director of business development for Acorin and I um, am responsible for new business, uh, top of funnel and pipeline, as well as our partners. Um, our platform partners and also our technology partners. And I am currently based out of Mexico. Excellent. Graham. This is Graham Libby. I lead strategy for Acorn as well as the service delivery teams. I'm based in Boston. Excellent. And we're lucky to have um, one a member of our project management team with us today. Matthew, would you like to introduce yourself and where you're working from? Yeah, uh, my name is Matthew Harrington, and I'm working out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm a project manager with the uh, quarantine. Excellent. So we got um, two from Boston in the Eastern time zone, one central and uh, one uh, Ryan Mountain time in Mexico. Is that correct? Yeah, more or less. Mazatlan uh, time, which just likes to confuse things by a month or so, but oh my more gosh, or less time. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a confusing time and a confusing year. So I'm going to kick this off with a nice quicker question. Um, what is the most recent major purchase you have made in your household that you can really say was an impact of uh, the pandemic? In order to break the ice here a little bit, I will uh, volunteer and go first. And I would say that um, it's a very pandemic-y purchase, uh, but we, uh, there's there's four individuals in our house, um, two young adults and my wife and I, and uh, we purchased a Peloton in the last two weeks and two members of the house are using it uh, every day. And I can say without a doubt that that was Really, that, that the decision to buy that was definitely caused by our uh, isolation, social distancing, uh, yet a desire to continue to exercise. Who wants to go next? How about um, Graham? 
I would say a purchase isn't necessarily anything physical, but is an upgrade to uh, to the household band. So up up and up our plans so that we get better uh, better bandwidth. <laughs> and that's because uh, when you have people in your house, everybody's uh, either uh, studying, doing their homework, or uh, doing video. Correct. Uh, exactly. Thrown thrown Netflix, Amazon videos, or, or Spotify. Um, have you found that some people are on multiple devices at the same time? My teenagers definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's why I asked that. Phone and laptop at the same time, using all of that bandwidth. Um, let's see. How about you, Ryan? Yeah. Um... A little of both, and I, I'm a little surprised, Frank. I would say that probably the Peloton was a purchase in uh, answer to the green egg you recently bought. I thought that's what you were going to talk about, since you made us all jealous with that. Um, but I'm with both you and Graham. Um, I would say the, the most recent purchases we've made are exercise equipment um, that we're able to use at the house um, because you start going a little stir-crazy. And then um, we've had to up our bandwidth because uh, with two teenagers at home also, uh, we have upped our subscriptions, whether it's Hulu TV or upgrading our Netflix oh, yeah. or Prime. Um, we've spent a lot of money, I feel like, uh, at-home entertainment um, that we would not have had in the past, which ultimately results to needing much faster, stronger internet. Gotcha. That makes total sense and is uh, consistent with everything I'm seeing and also everything that's happening in our house, too. Um, how about you, Matthew? What about in your house? What's a, what's a purchase um, you've made recently that uh, you think was really a, a, a caused by the pandemic? Uh, definitely the Ninja Foodie Grill. <laughs> ah. uh, the restaurant being closed and uh, the yeah desire to kind of be creative in the kitchen. Um, yeah, I, I, Went with that, and it's been a great, great purchase, great addition. Is that an indoor appliance or an outdoor appliance or both? It's actually an indoor, and uh, it cuts down the amount of smoke that's created, so you can actually grill steaks indoors in your kitchen. It's uh, pretty impressive. Excellent. So I want to move on here and talk a little bit about um, some things, some issues that we're seeing in our in our business in in e-commerce services and uh, the, the related businesses and industries that our clients participate in. Um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a veteran e-commerce worker, um, obviously to everybody here on the phone, it's no surprise to us that um, e-commerce has continued to thrive during the pandemic. But um, what has happened in e-commerce um, that, that has, um, surprised you. And again, to, to, to break the ice while you guys think about that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kick, kick it off. And what's, what's really surprising to me is the number of B2C brands that are launching during the pandemic. Um, it's, it's probably not a surprise that a lot of these brands are sponsored by holding companies or retail companies that are diversifying into e-commerce. But I am really surprised that every time I open up Instagram, I see a new brand of fishing rod, or I see a new brand of biking shorts, or I see a new brand of uh, belts for guys in their 40s and 50s 
Um, I see so many new consumer brands that are targeted directly at me. Um, it's really uh, quite shocking, sometimes in a very pleasant way, just given the level of um, targeting that you're able to do these days. But I'm surprised that so many brands think they can survive even in an era like this where everybody is now shopping for um, for everything online. So that's really that's really what's surprising to me. Um, who wants to volunteer and uh, and go next? What what are you seeing that's um, surprising as e-commerce has been growing over the last nine months so much? Yeah, this okay. is Ryan, and I can go. And I, I would say the thing that's been most surprising to me is the the demographic that I'm seeing jump into the e-commerce pool that weren't there in the past. Um, like my in-laws, for example, or <clears throat> they'll be upset with sharing their age, but they're let's say they're creeping up on 70. And they never in a million years would have uh, been okay with purchasing something over their phone or online. And now they're sending us messages or pictures of great deals and different ways they're shopping online. Um, it's a whole new way of thinking because they don't want to be out and about um, like they would have in the past. Yeah, I've been uh, just in line with that, been out and about. At the start of the pandemic, I was surprised or at, at how many p people utilizing uh, grocery shopping services like Instacart or um, Amazon Fresh. And I thought that could actually tail off when some of the restrictions went away. But from what I'm seeing when, when I visit the grocery store, there's still a tremendous number of people that are using those services. So, so to me, that has been really interesting to see how there have been changes in purchasing patterns in a pretty short amount of time, really compressed into around six to nine months. So with, um, with, let, me, let me ask you, Grant, since you have two teenage kids who are, um, have, have been totally immersed with e-commerce practically since they were born, have, have they changed any of their purchasing patterns? Or are there things that are do, they are doing now, maybe that are impacted by school from home and all that kind of stuff and inability to see their friends and so forth. Anything at all that's jumped out at you? No, they've, uh, as you said, they've always been pretty comfortable buying products online and researching products online. Though I will say they're using more services. So signing up for online concerts and live streaming of games as online purchases rather than just products. Excellent. I think um, this is Matthew. I think uh, one thing that's kind of surprised me is just the adaptability of, of businesses themselves. So both, like you guys have noted, the consumers or you know customers on one end, I've been impressed with uh, at least uh, one one client I've been working with that um, how quickly they were able to shift gears and um, fill needs that were generated by by the pandemic. So shifting their focus on supplies, shifting their marketing, and it was. Um, pretty quick and seemed to definitely have helped out that that company and, and all of the people that they employ. Good stuff. Yeah, it's really interesting to see these patterns changing and, and surprisingly, even with uh, the the growth of e-commerce, growth of e-commerce, some of these uh, patterns are emerging out of the pandemic that are are probably not going to go away anytime soon, even after we're all vaccinated. So I want to move on here and talk a little bit about. Um, our distributed workforce and culture. Here at Acorn, we're lucky enough 
that we've had in the workforce and culture for quite some time. And we're, we're used to working literally around the clock and around the world. We've got folks in Asia, folks in North America, folks in Europe. Uh, so we are distributed and our work processes really reflect um, the, the need to be distributed. But I wanted to ask you guys on the phone here today, what has been your biggest challenge this year during the pandemic working remotely and what has been uh, your 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 biggest accomplishment and I'm gonna I'm gonna again jump in and break the ice and talk about the biggest challenge yeah we're we're used to working remotely but this year I think that um, the, the 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 isolation has been uh, greater than it has ever been before for the um, for the for the remote workforce and my theory here is that um, most of us that um, work independently and in a distributed way uh, for most of the time, we outside of the pandemic, we have our social lives, we have our norms of behavior. But when that is all packaged up and thrown into the realm of isolation, not only are you isolated socially, you're isolated at work, working on your own. So that can make you feel like your work is more isolating than it actually is. And that's been uh, the case for me, and at least in the sales capacity, not being able to go to trade, um, not being able to hang out with Ryan, not being able to hang out with the other people from the other SIs and from our major partners um, has been quite isolating and obviously never to see anybody from the office for such a long period of time has um, definitely uh, been a challenge, I think, um, in terms of uh, biggest accomplishment, really just responding to that sense of, of isolation and um, leveraging our distributed workforce to get to get our work done and to continue to grow as an agency has been uh, my biggest accomplishment. Graham, you want to jump in next? Uh, Frank, you're on mute. I can't hear you. Frank, I'm having network connectivity issues today. I think those are probably the two biggest challenges that uh, have come across as everybody's gone remote. You know, there are no more in-person calls. Everything is is through a, a Skype or a Zoom or a WebEx or one of the other 15 different technology platforms. And when you're working across so many different platforms, invariably somebody on the call is going to have an issue, whether it's with their microphone, their camera, or just the technology itself. So, so that has been a challenge over the last year, and I think a lot of the listeners can empathize with that one. What about, um, what do you think uh, your, your biggest accomplishment has been uh, this year in terms of uh, working, working remotely? Well, I think... Danger to it. Yeah, I think, I think for our team, as you started out with, because we've, we've had a distributed team for such a long time. I think the there has been quite a lot of continuity and the fact that we haven't had an interruption in delivering services to our clients is something that uh, I think has, has been an accomplishment for the extended team. Let's see, uh, Ryan, what, do you, what, what about you? What's been the biggest challenge for you this year? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of with you and Graham both. I mean, <clears throat> we've all been distributed and worked remotely for years. And so, 
you had this outlet when you would travel and, and, and see clients and visit each other and, and you had that. So, so it's been a bit of a challenge being isolated. Um, and what I found really challenging too, and, and it was almost funny in a, in a weird way is we do, we are in the tech industry and, and we deal with, you know, pretty technical savvy people, but to Graham's point, what's, what's been funny is, um, the surprise of trying to set up a video conference or just, you know, scheduling multiple people and, and not really a challenge for us, but just kind of being compassionate to the fact that a lot of people haven't had to do that. A lot of the people that we've dealt with and that we still deal with, we're used to being in an office um, together and being able to coordinate those and walk into a boardroom, even if we were videoing in. So um, I think that's been a challenge and it's required patience, but that's also led into an accomplishment where we've, in some ways, we've actually grown our relationships with some of our clients and people we've worked with over the years because we've been kind of able to help nurture them and, and get them up to speed um, so that they can be a little more successful in their roles, which at the end of the day, you know, if, if we're having meetings with them and, and we can make their life a little easier, it um, invariably makes ours um, a bit easier as well. So uh, I would say, you know, the challenge and the accomplishment have almost gone hand in hand. How about you, Matthew? What, what do you think? What are the challenges uh, you've come across in your day-to-day -day work? Yeah, def definitely the uh, connectivity issue. So when, you know, a client experiences uh, internet outage in their neighborhood or, or power outage, um, can relate to that, but having worked remotely for a number of years, um, knowing how to also prepare for it. So making sure like my phone has a mobile hotspot ready to go in case, you know, my internet service drops out in the, in the tower here and I can quickly, you know, make sure I'm, I'm able to facilitate a conference call still. Um, I know there've been times where, you know, with, with proper planning, I make sure I've got enough charge on my laptop. Uh, they're doing building maintenance and, going to be without power for for an hour or two and it happens to overlap with one of my one of my scheduled calls I'm still able to to keep that a, a appointment and and deliver and I think that's you know it's, it's helped with the client um, just to to know that we're, we're still going to be there and, and available for them and I think they've also kind of taken pointers so saying oh that's a you know that's a good idea you know, we'll make sure to do that yeah I think we probably We've, we've really all learned to, to deal with the ebbs and flows of uh, bandwidth uh, in our in our houses and in our apartments, and um, it's just dealing with um, you know a little bit of uh, flexibility goes goes a long way in this environment. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, our clients, and um, uh, this is a public podcast, so um, you know, let's let's try to refrain from naming specific clients, but um, maybe um, in thinking about um, how you would answer this question, think about B2C versus um, B2B and really just highlights. I'm going to throw it out as kind of a roundtable question for everybody. Um, what, what type of initiatives is, does it feel like clients are really pushing right now and looking at next year as we're, we're you know, nine months or so into the pandemic, it's been a big year for most of their clients. Otherwise, they they wouldn't be spending money with us. They're, they're, our clients tend to be very e-commerce focused. But where are they heading with their 
with their e-commerce websites and their e-commerce initiatives. What are the things that are really important to them? Is it just about uh, performance and features and functionality, or are there some, some real strategic things that are that, that are kind of kind of interesting to share, like strategic retailing and merchandising initiatives? What are we uh, what, what what are we seeing? on behalf of our clients. And maybe Ryan, if you want to jump in at the end from a sales perspective, what um, what what uh, types of initiatives are we being asked to look at and to um, onboard with uh, some of the prospects that are coming into the pipeline? Um, who wants to go first on this one? Graham, how about you? Absolutely. I think we're we're seeing a lot more focus on metrics, on both driving traffic to the store, conversion metrics, as well as returns, shipping costs, and so forth. The, the pandemic has, I think, accelerated the adoption and maturity of many of our clients' e-commerce programs, where in the past, they may have been multi-channel but with a lot of store shutdowns, they've really had a focus on the e-commerce side of the house. And that has allowed them to um, both put an investment as well as put uh, both financial as well as a mental investment in really digging into what the key levers of their e-commerce operations are and work on uh, optimizing them. Does that include um starting new e-commerce channels or optimizing the ones they have or all, all kind of all of the above, really just looking to try everything to grow e-commerce? It's really all of the above. It's looking at existing channels. It's opening up new geographies. It's providing different products assortments and really focusing down on the profitability of things like shipping and returns and so forth. Matthew, so you uh, you you help us manage and on a day-to-day -day basis our our largest client in the B2B space, then uh, they run five or six uh, uh, B2B e-commerce websites. What what are they really concerned about now, um, deep into the pandemic here with uh, with with their e-commerce? Is it um, is it just performance? Is it uh, the overall user experience? And thinking about it from a B2B perspective, are you um, starting to see them care as much about the design and the user experience as some of the B2C brands that we work with, or is it kind of all of the above, just make it, just make it all better and faster? De definitely a performance Sully is a, a top item. Um, everybody wants their site to be fast and, and responsive. Um, I think one area uh, that I, I've noticed is, um, in the past, we really have had this focus on um, with the B to B to C uh, users having a, a custom experience, and I'm, I'm noticing that with um, the the B to B, really wanting the ability for their system to be flexible for the different types of businesses that are they're doing business with. So instead of having this kind of cookie cutter approach, um, making it more uh, flexible. So that uh, business A has a an experience 
that's unique to them. Um, and business B has one that's you know specific to them. And I've seen some um, unique business requirements come out uh, or focus in, in areas. And particularly with your largest client, uh, the self self service aspect is really important. Um, correct, and and that includes really um, a, a number of innovative B2B features that uh, uh, that that allow a merchant's business client um, really take care of many aspects of the B2B purchasing experience on their own. It used to be. Uh, there used to be procurement departments, right, where people would have to fax orders or call or um, call to see if they had credit to make a purchase. All of these processes, it, it seems like um, there there's an, an uh, initiative, uh, an emphasis on making all of those happen um, even within the e-commerce website, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, automating as much as possible. Um, creating more efficiency there, uh, and allowing the business, the, the you know the purchasing business to uh, really get what they're looking for. You know they've got their own unique business structure, um, their their processes in place, and making sure that the platform that they're using or the um, the company they're working with um, can kind of uh, fit together well with them and. I think that's uh, definitely been a been a driving factor. So, so Ryan, when it comes to our prospects, and maybe not just even our prospects, but um, what you're hearing from our partners, um, in, in thinking about um, this entire year, um, what are some of the um, more common initiatives or problems that um, we've been fielding with, with, with our proposals in new business and in sales? Yeah, I mean, I think from a B2C standpoint, some of the common themes we're really seeing, um, you know, the most common we've really seen is support, um, where a company felt like they had great support and then um, all chaos and all mayhem breaks loose like it did earlier this year and they realized that the partners they may have had in place um, aren't able to provide them what they actually needed or that their site may not be running efficiently as possible. And I, I think what's happened during this time is we're already a little impatient as people because we're used to being able to get things quick and that impatience has gone to the next level. So when we hit a home page or we try and place an order and if that's not happening right away, people are leaving. And a lot of the smaller businesses, you know, the SMB um, businesses we deal with, they're starting to feel the effects of that um, where they may not have in the past. And so that's been a, a, a big area for us in just doing audits with our clients and, and or even people that are calling in and, and helping them guide the direction they need to go um, in order to grow. And then from the B2B aspect, you know, to what Matthew was saying earlier, I think what a lot of companies have realized is they thought they were integrated pretty well. They thought they had a really good online and e-commerce B2B strategy. <clears throat> but as soon as offices started to have to close down and, and they weren't deemed uh, necessary, what a lot of our clients started noticing, or I shouldn't say a lot, but um, where we had a number of people call in 
is they realized how many times they were actually touching or pushing paper after the order was, you know, quote unquote, placed online. Um, and so now they're trying to figure out a strategy to make that a little more seamless. And how can they, you know, track those orders easily? How can they track inventory when they don't have um, the people running around the warehouses or even around the office space um, that they're used to in the past? And, and so that's been a, a challenge for a lot of companies that we've seen and just, um, even if that was on their future plans, just figuring out how to help them accelerate that. And as you know, I mean, we're not doing all this work for them, but um, you know, a lot of times they're just helping them point in the right direction, and so they can set up a you know a plan for moving forward. So, so um, what I'm hearing here is that even though a lot of our clients have been in e-commerce for years. And even though some of them are expanding well beyond their initial e-commerce websites and growing with multi-site approaches and multi-brand approaches, there are clients that we serve that are still working on the, the basic blocking and tackling of e-commerce, working on their speed and site performance, working on acquiring new customers within a with a reasonable investment and working on their customer service execution, especially as it relates to their site experience and performance. Would you, would you guys agree to, to that, 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 that really it's just about getting all the, all the block, blocking and tackling done um, better and, and faster? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that there is a huge emphasis. One, once the site's up and running, there's a huge emphasis on optimizing it. How do you make it better? How do you get your conversion conversion rate up? How do you get your bounce rate down? How do you drive more organic traffic to the site? So once you've got that baseline in place, a lot of the focus is really on how do you make things better? Yeah, and I would agree that a lot of people and companies already had that on their radar um, or in their game plan of needing to do that or wanting to do that. Um, but those have been accelerated. Those plans have been accelerated and, and just being able to, I mean, really find the resources to get that done, whether it's in-house or, um, you know, with another SI or partner has uh, been a challenge for a lot, but ultimately the end goal is the same as to, to move product through their site. Matthew, anything to add to that that might be different just from the, the kind of the B to side of things is it um, really just um, working hard for larger B2B, B2B merchants just have to work work hard to manage all of the aspects of the operation right I think uh, just kind of having the you know ear to the to, to the B2B uh, customers and being responsive to what their requests are um, obviously keep them happy they keep purchasing and um, everybody is, you know, making sales. So uh, I think, uh, yeah, just being willing to be flexible. Makes total sense. Seems like um, in, in the B2B world, there's um, potentially more risk for um, an unhappy client, um, you know, as opposed to a, uh, a B2C brand with uh, a few thousand customers that, um, spend a few hundred bucks for 
in here, B2B, um, you may have a few hundred customers that spend each hundreds of thousands per year, and if you lose one, um, it's a big it's a big hit. Um, so I want to jump uh, jump along here and um, talk a little bit about um, what we're seeing um, that are critical. What what aspects of the e-commerce operation are critical? to our clients. Has there been any particular platform or tool that has been something that one of our clients just hasn't been able to live without this year? Anybody want to jump in and tackle that one? One specific piece of technology or platform that is absolutely instrumental to their uh, success? Yeah, so looking at it from two standpoints, one, one from a platform standpoint. Uh, especially for B2B clients, Magento's investment in B2B functionality has been incredibly valuable for a lot of customers, whether it's the purchase order of Google's the address book functionality, the quoting functionality, um, or some of the others. Uh, that's been very valuable for B2B companies rolling out bespoke services because it conforms to B2B purchasing environments. Another tool that, uh, that we've seen a tremendous adoption on is more around the email automation. Uh, Clavio has been crushing it. There's been some really um, uh, tremendous uptick in adoption we've seen of Clavio across uh, our customer platforms, especially the ones that are rolling out on SaaS platforms like Shopify. Yeah, it seems like Clavio uh, uh, is... Um on its way to becoming almost a de facto CRM for e-commerce merchants, um, given the amount of uh, marketing that you can do with that tool and given the data that it provides and the interactions between your email list and what, they, what the members of, of the list do on an e-commerce site is just, it's just invaluable to both beginners in e-commerce and certified expert merchants as well. Um, Brian, do you anything, anything to add to that? Any other tool or platform we've seen um, that has been really indispensable to some of our clients? Yeah, I would say, I mean, besides Fabio, as you guys mentioned, <clears throat> some of the peer-to-peer -peer, um, reviews and ratings, um, you know, like a Yopo, um, there's a lot of noise out there and a lot of places to buy, and it's just like uh, when people are used to going to a restaurant and they'll pull up, whether it's, you know, uh, Google or TripAdvisor or, or, I mean, you name it, to get a review on a restaurant. Um, that's what people are starting to do um, when they hit websites or when they're looking at products uh, that they may not have bought. They're relying on their peers um, for their feedback. So, so we've seen a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of integration with that to kind of differentiate uh, the products out there. Yeah, I would um, just add or, or echo to Graham's comments about Magento. Um, I know some of the monitoring tools, performance analysis tools, um, that can be helpful. One that uh, one of my clients uses is uh, New Relic, and that's been uh, helpful for them in just monitoring their site and um, looking for areas to make improvements, performance improvements and such. Yeah, certainly uh, performance monitoring uh, a big, big part of uh, e-commerce um, this this year. Really important to have e-commerce sites 
running as, as quickly and as efficiently as possible for everybody that's shopping on them, whether they are B2C or, or, or B2B. Um, so I want to start to finish up here and uh, just give listeners a chance to know you guys a little bit about what you do with e-commerce and how you purchase. But um, what, 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 do you, what e-commerce sites are you using, especially now during the pandemic, outside of Amazon and, and why do you use them? Brian, you want to tackle that one first since uh, you seem to be the entertainment guy? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I would say there's a few. I mean, being in Mexico, <clears throat> I have different options. Um, Amazon is obviously an option here. But there's other ones that we use like Rappi, um, which will not only deliver food to you, but it can pick up your groceries and simple things like that and get them to your door. Um, and then, I mean, I do consider them e-commerce sites, but the DoorDash and Uber Eats, that was not anything we typically did as a household in the past. And if I were to go through uh, my purchases this year, I'm sure that I have spent uh, a significant amount of money uh, through those sites uh, feeding teenagers. Matthew, outside of Amazon, uh, what's, what sites are you using? Yeah, definitely. Uh... Instacart shipped is another one similar to Instacart. Um, and then, yeah, some of the, uh, the dining services too, when the, uh, the Ninja Foodie Grill is needing a break in the kitchen. So the Grubhubs and DoorDash. So, so just out of curiosity, for a purchase like that, um, what, what was the big influencer of the decision to buy it? Was it somebody else had it, um, friend recommended? Or you got uh, inspired by Instagram, or how did it, how did that work for you? Why did you end up getting it? I, uh, a friend recommended it, and uh, yeah, it was a great great recommendation. And uh, I was impressed with the uh, variety of things that could be uh, could be cooked or prepared in it. Uh, Graham, anything to add here? Popular sites in your house outside of Amazon? Where people are buying things? No, not really. It's either a uh, direct-to-consumer brand or it's Amazon, pretty much. All right. Next is a, um, and almost last is a, a question about um, Amazon itself. Um, uh, what percentage of your online shopping is done on Amazon in your entire household, and is it increasing or decreasing? And I will uh, start first. We have certainly had a banner year in this house with uh, college students and young adults um, moving home, everybody making a lot of purchases online. And I would say that Amazon has crept from 50% to must be close to 90% of all the purchasing. So even in this house, and even though we live in a populated suburb of Boston where it's easy to walk to grocery stores and hardware stores and all those types of things. Uh, we have made the shift in our house to buying paper towels and regular household dry goods and food and so forth from Amazon. So for us, um, it's increasing. The use of, increasing, uh, of Amazon increasing dramatically. That may be caused by the, the CFO putting pressure to um, use the Prime membership but um, I think it's also driven um, by, um, by convenience. 
Um, I, I will say there are some things that were definitely would would not look to 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 purchase on Amazon, and um, you know we're we are um, still um, buying apparel and uh, buying uh, personal goods and so forth, and very little of that, like for most people, is purchased from Amazon. So we still see the boxes from the from the apparel apparel brands and. Uh, shoe brands arriving at our house, even those outside of Zappos. But generally speaking, overall, the purchase shift with um, less time spent in retail, Amazon has definitely increased in our house. And I have to think it's over 90%. Anybody else want to tackle that one? No, but I, no, I, not, not in detail, but I think uh, our, our purchasing brands have reflected that too. <laughs> yeah. I would say ours has gone down a little bit, um, which is a little backwards. I think part of that is because we are in Mexico. <clears throat> and so Amazon does have some challenges, even though they're based out of here. But one of the things is, well, two things that we've really seen happen is kind of decreased our Amazon purchase, but our online has gone up is just through different credit card partners and things like that. Um, the sales and incentives we were getting uh, to go direct to the store, whether it's Nordstrom's or Vans or Saks and wherever it might be and the, the credits they're giving you and the free returns and meeting all of those, especially with kids, you know, being able to get those brands. Um, so that's decreased. And, and, and Frank, almost in reverse to your point, for the larger items we used to order, um, those have almost become an excuse now to go out and purchase so that it's almost become an event and a reason to get out of the house and mask up and, and go do what we need to do. So um, in a weird way, our Amazon's gone down, but our online has still gone up. Uh, Matthew, anything to add on this topic? Uh, no, I, you guys uh Pretty much hit it all. It's pretty similar here. Um, yeah. All righty, we're going to wrap up with one last question. Thinking about our clients and looking ahead into uh, 2021, uh, what do we think is going to be our clients' most important priority looking at 2021? What are they going to be the most important initiatives? What are the technologies that they're going to be um, onboarding with, um, whether it be platform plugins? Um, or, or products that they're going to be integrating into their e-commerce operations. What, what are we going to see in, in 2021 be of real importance, whether it's as simple as the most sophisticated performance improvements possible or a really, really, really complex integration? Any, any thoughts about this one? Uh, I'd say we're going to see more of the same really focused on continued optimization. And that's going to look at performance as, as one area and, and continuing to um, improve the performance of the site from a user experience standpoint all the way through uh, optimization, A-B testing, uh, conversion rate improvement type of, type of tasks, really focused on getting the most out of the e-commerce site possible. Excellent. Um, Ryan or Matthew, any thoughts 
on this one. What we might see our clients um, focusing on with regards to their e-commerce needs next year. I think Graham really hit it. Um, there's nothing glaring. I would say the biggest thing is just going to be <clears throat> turnaround and reliability. Um, and not even so much reliability from the site. We know that's a given, but just reliability of how can they ensure that <clears throat> what's coming in is going out the same way. So um, I think just really improving on the overall strategy they've, they've started building off of this year. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, probably integrations, just the supply, supply chains, making sure they're feeding that information along. Um, and then open one client that has the uh, uh, address verification, so more stuff being shipped out, more orders being sent. Uh, you know, products that get returned, they can get penalties, fees for that. Businesses can, so making sure they're getting stuff shipped to the addresses that they're supposed to be shipped to, um, eliminating those return expenses or or, or other fees. Um, yeah, I think you guys touched on a lot of it. So I'll chime in here and finish up. I think um, especially for our B2B clients, we're going to see next year um, the B2C marketing techniques creep into the B2B um, markets with a higher degree of personalization, a higher degree of uh, targeting so that B2B customers are getting essentially B2B, B2C marketing experiences from the merchants uh, that they buy from. I think it's going to be a big year for B2B to catch up in terms of their uh, marketing sophistication. Um, a lot of distributors and even manufacturers too are going to um, need to be there in order to compete with um, other uh, major marketplaces in B2B and um, also to uh, outsmart their their competitors this year. So I think it's going to be, um, I think uh, the overall e-commerce and digital market next year is to be more the same, but even better and, and more more sophisticated um, next next year in 2021. So this has been a great conversation, guys. I really appreciate um, everybody jumping on and and sharing your thoughts uh, with our listeners. And um, I appreciate everybody's time here. Hopefully, everybody's gotten uh, some some insights, some fun observations, and. We've gotten to know a couple more members of the Accorin team. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in to another edition of e-commerce Answers. Thanks for listening to this episode of e-commerce Answers. If you have ideas for topics you believe we should be exploring, send a note to podcast at acorin.com, or you can fill out the contact form on our website. If you'd like to participate and be a guest, we welcome those inquiries too. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to bringing you our next episode.